0: So this evening, if you would open up your Bibles, if you've got them, to 1 Kings, chapter 18, uh, verse 41. We'll be reading there in a moment. Uh, Thomas Edison, if most people have been to elementary school in America. You know who he is, and you know what he invented. Um, he went through a lot to invent the light bulb, as we know um, And it took a long time just for him to find an effective filament for the carbon incandescent lamp that he wanted to invent. He had many, many failed attempts. Um, He had what they considered to be countless different materials that he tried. And as each one failed, he would toss it out his window. And they say that the pile of failed filaments reached to the second story of his house. He sent men to the nations of China, Japan, South America, Asia, Jamaica, uh, Ceylon, and Burma in search for fibers and grasses to be tested in his laboratory. And finally, one day on October 21st, 1879, after 13 months of repeated failures, he succeeded in his search for a filament. This is just for the filament that would stand the stress of an electric current. And so as he's testing these filaments, he would take one, a bit of what they call lamp black, and mix it with tar and roll it into a thin thread. Uh, Then he had the idea, this was what he was trying originally, he had the idea to try carbonized cotton fiber. We're all familiar with that here, right? And for five hours, he would work to weave it together. And on his first attempt, it broke before he could remove the mold. Two spools of thread later, so in other words, a lot more tries of five hours of weaving later. He finally got the perfect strand, only to be ruined when he tried to place it in the glass tube. But Edison refused to admit defeat. He continued without sleep for two days and nights and finally managed to slip one of the carbonized threads into a vacuum-sealed tube. And he turned on the current and, quote, the sight we had so long desired to, uh, to, to see finally met our eyes. And his persistence amidst such discouraging odds and seemingly no signs of progress, had given the world the wonderful invention of the electric light. And just like Thomas Edison's persistence in his search for the light bulb, our persistent steps of faith in God and in the leadership he puts over us and in his scriptures, we build a persistent faith to go again and again and again, knowing God will fulfill his promises regardless Of what we see happen. So let's read our text this evening in 1st Kings chapter 18 and this is at the end of a three years of famine that Elijah had prophesied and he told Ahab it will not rain until I tell you it's going to rain. So this is coming to the end of that three years and it says this and Elijah said to Ahab go up eat and drink for there will be the sound of rushing rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. He told him to go again seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered his garments and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. This evening I'm going to preach a sermon I've entitled, Go Again. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit and the help of your Spirit in this place tonight. God, we ask, Lord, that you would help us this evening, God, that it would be uh, you, God, who speaks to all of us in this place, Lord, that no one would leave, Father, untouched by your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So firstly, I want to speak about the casualties of turning away from God. And this basically put, is put into the word apostasy, which is rooted from the Greek word apostasia. And it means a defiance of an established system or authority, a rebellion or an abandonment, or breach of faith. So, in other words, it's knowing the truth of the gospel, the word of God, and walking away from it, backsliding, as we commonly say it in the church today. In uh, First Timothy 4:1, prophesies of what commentators call a great apostasy in the end times, and it says, "Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times." Some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. So why is it that we will see a great apostasy? Well, when Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, he likely didn't have an answer to it. And we may or may not have the correct answer now. But if you look at the walk of a Christian, the life of faith, and you look at the generations you have today there's some things that I notice in particular. You see, serving God in the long life, at least what we consider to be a long life, is a long-distance marathon. It's not a 100-meter sprint. And the mistake that many churches today make is they focus on a present experience. They focus on emotions. They focus on feelings. And as you guys know, if you've, Experienced experiences and felt feelings, they don't last forever. They don't focus on the longevity of an enduring faith. And today's generation, I think probably millennials and younger, is oftentimes referred to as the microwave generation. We lack the patience for really anything, let alone the patience to wait on God, to wait on what is Achieved in the longevity of faith So when the moments when the experiences when the emotions run out They simply just walk away, and it's no longer what it once was or what they remembered it being But throughout the Bible you see that God rewards longevity Not brevity not short-term moments of commitment Hebrews 12 verses 1 through 2 says therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of I'm sorry, yeah, at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, so often people, when they get saved, they enter this race of faith, if you will, as a sprint, and they run out of steam long before the finish line. We must follow the examples of those who went before us. That's what this text is talking about, the cloud of witnesses, the examples of faith that we see in the Bible And the the stories that we read in the Old Testament of Abraham and Moses and people who not only were faithful, not only acted in obedience to God in a moment, but in a lifetime. And you have to wonder in our text tonight, what would have happened if the servant that Elijah was commanding decided that he wasn't going to do this anymore? Elijah was committed to prayer. He was committed to uh, praying for what God had for his people, and he had his servant going to check, and he sent him seven times. We're talking about obedience from a servant, not on emotion, not not, not on feelings. You know, it's we get excited sometimes when we have a real. A successful outreach, and then people are excited for the next coming weeks, you know, and things like that. But then, when you've gone one, two, three, four, five outreaches, events, or what have you, without much emotions, much fruit from these things, it can become difficult to go that seventh time. And I wonder what was going through the mind of Elijah's servant. Go again. Nothing. Go again. Nothing. Go again. Nothing. All the way up till seven times. This is an act of commitment to God's word. Commitment to what God is telling him to do. Not a commitment to seeing results. Not a commitment to how he feels when he's done with it. You know, and and when we imagine this situation between Elijah and Moses... We imagine let's let's pretend the speaker here is Elijah. We imagine Elisha saying, Okay, go check for a cloud and and he just goes, No, nope, nothing yet. You know, Elisha can see that from there. He can look up and see himself. So he had to have gone at least some distance out of the sight of Elisha. What was this like? You know, was it it, it likely wasn't just a ten foot jaunt? Did he have to climb up a ridge and, and look out? Did he have to endure much hardship to get to this vantage point to look for a cloud? You know, it's easy to read the text in the Bible and just assume or not even think much about the details. And the Bible doesn't tell us, you know, he had to climb an elevation of a hundred feet, a treacherous path with snow and thorns and thistles or whatever. We don't know. But oftentimes when God gives us commandments. We don't know what it will entail either. We just have to be faithful to carry it out. What about Elijah? What if, what if he gave up before seven times? You know, he, he might be thinking to himself, you know, God, I, I talked a big game to Ahab. I told him three years, no rain. We haven't had no rain. And I told him now it's time for it to rain. And I've sent my servant five times now and there's nothing. The cloud is, the, the sky is bluer than any blue I've ever seen. God, you're making me look dumb. You're, make, you're making me look stupid to this heathen king who I'm prophesying to on your behalf. What if, Eli, what if Elisha lost faith, lost sight of the end promise of what God had? But he didn't, despite no signs. Despite no signs of a cloud for six times, he continues to send his servant. And on the seventh time, what does he see? Giant thunder clouds and lightnings, right? No. Described as a cloud the size of a man's hand off in the horizon. And again, Elijah could have said, Man, I've seven times, I've been praying all night, and all I get is this tiny little cloud. But no, he takes this as a sign. He looks at this and goes, Oh, yeah, here it comes. You better go warn Ahab because otherwise his chariot's going to get stuck in the mud because it's about to come. That's the type of confidence we have to have in the promises of God, in the faithfulness when we don't see the clouds that God's promised. When we don't see them after one, two, three, four, five, six times. And finally, after the seventh time, we still don't have any rain, but we have hope, we have a sign. You know, it's easy for us to grow weary of serving God when it seems like nothing is happening. When we outreach Saturday after Saturday and nobody's getting saved, visitors aren't coming. But let me tell you, church, all it takes is a small cloud. And then all of a sudden, it's raining and pouring, and were we ready? Were we faithful leading up to that? Like Pastor Bart said, he's told all the The pillars that we had here when he preached before leaving for Guyana, he said, you guys enjoy this now because it won't be too long until you're fighting for seats in here. Do we believe that? Do we believe that that's what God has for us? And are we willing to go again and again and again even when we're not seeing the clouds, even when the fruit isn't showing itself? You see, Elijah was dedicated to prayer in this matter. Just as much as he was dedicated to serving faithfully. And prayer is a key factor when it comes to us achieving God's will for our lives. I mean, first of all, prayer is communication with God. How better to understand what God wants from us than through the power of prayer. And Jesus links prayer to perseverance, within his will in Luke 18, verses 1-8. through It says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected men. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For while... For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? You see, this parable shows the nature of God. He says, listen, you can even wear down on a wicked man to give you what you want if you nag him enough, right? That's basically what he says. And he says, how much more will God give you what you need when you need it? to a faithful servant who asks day and night. And just like Elisha, Elijah, when we pray, does God always answer us on the first time? Or even the second, or the third, or the fifth, or the sixth, but sometimes it's the seventh or even more. You see, verse 8, you might be thinking, Pastor, doesn't it say in verse 8, That he will give justice to them speedily? Yeah, it does. But God's justice does not necessarily mean giving us what we want when we want it. God's justice does not necessarily mean answering us on the first prayer. Sometimes God's justice means getting us to a point to where he wants us before he blesses us. Let me illustrate it this way with the story of Jacob wrestling with God in Genesis 32, 26. Jacob wrestling with God says, Let me go for the day has broken. I'm sorry. God says to Jacob, Let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. This is an image of praying time and time again saying, God, I'm not going to quit praying until I know what you have for me. Until I receive the blessing and the promise that you have for me. And you know, in this situation, God already knows that he's going to bless Jacob. If you know the story of Jacob, you know before he was even born that there was prophecies about him being blessed and being a leader over his elder brother. God knew what He wanted to give Jacob, but he had to work some things out in Jacob first. And some Christians lose out on the blessings that God has for them because they give up. They give up as they continue to wrestle with God for their blessing, for the development in their spiritual life of who God wants them to be. Before that even happens, they tap out and they go. They go their way. They return back to their old life. The story goes on in verse 27 and he says to him, what is your name? And he says, Jacob. Now we know that God is omniscient. We know he knows Jacob's name. You know, sometimes God will ask us questions about ourselves to reveal who we are to ourselves. God already knows. God knows our heart. He knows our names. He knows who we are. The Bible says He knows every hair on our head. But God will challenge us in a way to answer questions and admit things about ourselves that He already knows. He wants us to come to to grips with it. And that's what God is doing here. You see, Jacob's name wasn't just Jacob. You meet somebody on the streets named Jacob, and you don't think much about what their name means, but the name Jacob actually means deceiver. And Jacob had been living out this identity for years. He'd been on the run from his brother, who he assumed was going to kill him next time he saw him. He stole his birthright from his brother by deceiving his father. God says, you want blessing, you need to realize who you are. You need to come to grips with the reality of what your identity is currently. And when God asks him this question, I can assume that Jacob answered full well knowing who he was and the life he had been living, living life on the run in the wilderness. So he finally admits to God who he is And the story continues in verses 28 through 30. Says, And then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. So in other words, he realizes in this moment who he's dealing with and that he went easy on him. (laughs) How many you know you don't wrestle with God and survive unless God wants you to? So God finally got Jacob to a place where he was ready for the blessing. The struggle was over. Jacob says, you know what? Yeah, I'm a deceiver. I'm a liar. My whole life up to this point has been a wreck. And I admit it. And I need your blessing. And he changes his name to Israel. And as you know from the story, the nation of Israel is born from Jacob. God's blessing and God's justice came in God's timing for Jacob, not when Jacob wanted it. Jacob tried to force it with his father, stealing his older brother's birthright. Jacob tried to do things his way, and God finally said, No, 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 you got to do it on my time frame. you got to do it on my schedule, because that is the way it needs to be. You need to be where I want you to be. So for us in this place, can we have a diligent faith? Can we go again, time and time again, when we don't see the fruit, when we don't see the results like we want to see them? You see, sometimes we have to take steps. We have to take actions in faith without even knowing where it's going to lead. Mark 1, 16-20, Jesus calling to his disciples for the first time. It says, passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Who were in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called to them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. You see, in this moment, Jesus doesn't reveal to him, to these men, the full plan. You know, Simon, who later had his name changed to Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they had to obey in the face of uncertainty. He didn't say, hey guys, come follow me, and man, you're going to be used in amazing ways. You're going to perform miracles in my name. You're going to cast out demons, people healed. You're even going to write letters to people that will be saved for thousands of years and studied. You're going to turn the whole world upside down. He didn't say any of that. He just said, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They had no idea what was about to happen, but they dropped their nets in an act of faith and uncertainty, and followed Jesus. And they didn't know what was next, other than take the first step. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this about this same passage. He says, only the obedient believe. A concrete commandment has to be obeyed in order to come to believe. A first step of obedience has to be taken so that faith does not become a pious self-deception, cheap grace. The first step is crucial. It is qualitatively different than all the others that follow. The first step of obedience has led Peter away from his nets and out of the boat. It has led the young man away from his wealth. Faith is possible only in this new state of existence created by obedience. You see, the first step when God calls you into something new, when he calls you into a new mission field or into a new ministry or into a new career or lifestyle or out of a career and lifestyle has the most uncertainty because God doesn't show you the finish line. When he says, hey, we got to start on this, he doesn't give you the final step. It's a step-by-step basis. And when we step into it, we make the choices and the commitment. That is where faith and obedience is achieved. Imagine if Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they say, yes, God or Jesus, I believe you. And then they stayed in their boats. What have they gained? other than a superficial faith saying, yes, Jesus, I believe that you can make me a fisher of men. But I got to finish up this, uh, this day on the job. You know how much tenure I have at my fisherman business? You know how much I've put into my retirement fund? I can't just walk away from that. But I believe that you are who you say you are. You know, Peter, Andrew, James, and John at this point have not seen any results, have not seen any fruit from following Jesus. But they heard from Jesus a concrete commandment that they obeyed and their lives from this point forward were never the same. As you know from the Gospel accounts, uh, Jesus uses these men to heal people, to cast out demons, After he ascends into heaven, he uses them to establish what we know now as the Christian church. He uses them to write the New Testament. And without the obedience of these men, we wouldn't have what we have here tonight in this place. But then, after the first steps, there's a commitment to the rest of the steps. In our main text, the servant is told seven times to go back and check for clouds, and he obeys every single time. You know, when you think about the relationship between the servant and Elisha, this probably wasn't his first gig, taking orders from Elisha. This wasn't his first time working with him. So, obeying Elijah's commands as his leader was nothing new to him. So, by now, he had formed a commitment to God and a commitment to his leader that couldn't be broken. Something that, even after one, two, three, four, five, six, and seventh time with very little results, he was still faithful to what God has for him. Something that he established with Elijah, with God, over what was probably a long-lasting relationship. In Psalms 1, verses 2 and 3, speaking of the way of a righteous man, says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. When you plant a tree, it doesn't grow and take root overnight. It doesn't immediately sprout up and spread out its roots. So, you you know, you've seen those trees where you can literally walk along the root for 10, 15, 20 feet. And there are these big, thick things. That tree ain't going nowhere. That doesn't happen overnight. It takes a long amount of time for that to be established. When you plant a tree and it begins to sprout, it doesn't take much to rip it right out of the ground. But it takes time. It takes commitment, steady watering and nurturing for a tree to be planted and to grow to a state of unmovable sturdiness. And likewise for us, our faith has to grow like that too. Obeying God time and time again until we do see the results. Until we do see what He has and it will establish in us an unmovable faith. A faith rooted in God and His Word and His promises for us that no matter what happens, no matter how long of a trial He calls us to, no matter how long of a dry season He brings us through, we are faithful and committed to see out the final step of His plan. But it starts with us making a decision as a small seed to plant ourselves in God, to plant ourselves in His ways and His plans for our lives and to stay diligent to it, to grow our faith, to read our scriptures, to come to church to pray, to witness, and evangelize, to labor in the things of God until our faith is like an immovable tree planted in God's Word. So when it comes to times in our lives, whether it takes seven times or 70 times, we know that God is faithful to deliver on His promises. We know that God is faithful to His servants. When He calls them to a task, and if we stay faithful to these things, that He will see us through it. Deuteronomy 7.9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is good, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. Now, I know Deuteronomy was written a long time ago. I don't know how many generations have been since then, but I'm going to go ahead and say we're within the thousand. Our God is a God who is faithful to those who follow him faithfully, who serve him diligently. You see, we time and time again let God down. That's just the unfortunate truth about us being humans. But our God never lets us down. He never leaves us hanging. When we are diligent in His plans, when we keep His commands, when we listen to the people He's placed in our lives and over our lives, when we obey the Word of God, when we follow the guidance of His Holy Spirit, our God is faithful in His steadfast love. He promises to carry us through, to bring the rain when He says it's going to come, when He has us where He wants us to be. Can I have every head bowed and every eyes closed tonight?